0: and welcome back to Sprinkles of SEL with U2L, a podcast on social and emotional learning, wellness, neuroscience, and healthy habits for educators and anyone in the
1: education space. I'm Lauren. And I'm Namratha.
0: And we're the SEL team here at United to Learn. Today's Sprinkle of SEL is a continuation of last week's topic, anxiety. But today, we're going to talk through a tool, One tool in particular that we can easily use at our disposal when we're working through any moments of anxiety, which is understanding our loci of control, Namratha.
1: (laughs) That's correct. So today's topic is going to answer a few of the following questions. What is loci of control? And how how is it something that we can use that can affect our anxiety management? How can we practice a healthy loci of control? And also who could practice this technique? Is it just for adults? Is it just for children? We'll find Let's out. See.
0: All right. Your locus of control, plural version of locus is loci. What is it? It's our ability to control or our authority, if you will, that we have that helps us manage what we are doing in situations. A locus of control is our perception and our experience of the underlying causes of events that we go through in life. Um, This was introduced by Julian Rotter in the 1950s. And as this concept continued to be developed in the field of cognitive psychology, we began to delineate our locus of control into two different parts or two different ways. So I want you to picture a spectrum, a left and a right spectrum, if you will. Uh, We'll add some visuals in the show notes on the website for you if you're a visual learner like I am. But it has two ways, the internal locus of control and the external locus of control. On on the end where the external locus of control is, that's the part that makes you believe that the outcomes and the results that you're experiencing are outside of your control. Like you have no power or control or influence over those things. And it's independent of your hard work and your decisions. It's just going to happen,
1: right? right. So just to clarify, that's like saying I've put in this hard work, but because of X, Y, and Z events that are happening outside of me. all my hard work doesn't mean anything because something else has happened to me. That's an external so like of everything's control.
0: happening to Namratha. Oh yeah. and she just can't do anything about it because everything's just happening to her, and she has no <laughs> ability to manage or control anything. It's just all happening to her.
1: It's like you're in my brain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just kidding. No, not that's not like that at all, uh, by the way. But on the other end of that spectrum is your internal locus of control. And that's where you believe that all the outcomes and results are within your power of control and you can have influence and um, your effort, your work, what you do, the decisions you make are in relation to That ability of control, which is your, again, your internal locus of control. So Namratha, would you argue that um, people become more effective in their workspaces, their lives, relationships, if they have a strong internal locus of control or a strong external locus of control? Or is there a
1: right answer to that? What do you think? I think that's the thing where it's like, I feel like we all Tend to be somewhere in between. And sometimes we lean towards one side or the other. But I feel like overall, I mean, where I'm coming at this is from, it's always healthy to, it's always good to have a healthy sense of an internal locus of control. Because I think it also probably just gets a little tiresome to think day by day that like everything's happening around me and it's happening to me and I don't have any power around it. Would you it. say
0: that's associated with like a victim mentality? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Interesting.
1: So managing your low side of control is a really nice practice when in particular, when it comes to managing my anxiety. So for me, it's this activity that I can use and it's really centered around mental organization. So if organization is your jam, I know we have some colleagues who that's their jam.
0: (laughs) Shout out to the office organizers.
1: We love you and we appreciate you. This could, this, yeah. Yeah. And this is something that we can do, um, internally, right? As an organization tool for ourselves, just to sort through what's happening. So when I'm, I'm, and what I mean by this is I am sitting down and I'm taking time to mentally reorient myself and my perspective on a given situation. So let me just break down and explain what that looks like for a sec.
0: Can I ask a question?
1: So are
0: you basically working on thinking about what you're thinking about or thinking about how you're thinking?
1: Yeah. It's metacognition is what that is. Right. Right. Love it. (laughs) We love that term. So let's just break this down, right? Let's just say we're in a really horrible traffic jam. And this is something I experience almost on the daily. So this is (laughs) a very real example for myself. So you're in a horrible traffic jam. It's just a never ending line of cars. You're bumper to bumper. No one is moving. No one's moving forward, nothing's getting done. If you've ever been on 75, you know what I'm talking about. Um, And your anxiety is rising, right? Because maybe this traffic jam is making you late for an important meeting. If you're an educator, maybe you know it's cutting into the few minutes you have to set up your class for the day and get your materials ready. Maybe you just know that your boss is watching that door to see what time you walk in. (laughs) And maybe that's a little anxiety inducing, right? (laughs) And with that anxiety arises other emotions too, right? We We're frustrated. We feel helpless. We're angry. That's where a lot of our road rage comes up and it comes up in a situation like this. Reset that Vegas (laughs) nerve. Exactly. Watch episode two. (laughs) So I can have a really strong external locus of control in this situation in particular, right? Which is to say that I am believing that this traffic jam, it's completely out of my control. It's a giant thorn in my side. It's going to delay me even further this morning. I'm getting upset now and I'm thinking something along the lines of why is this always happening to me, right? Like nothing's going my way and this always happens to me.
0: So let's think about another example. For those of you that work with children in schools every day, here's one. There's a big test coming up and you have student A who always believes his score his or her score will always directly reflect the amount of studying that they did. And since they just want nothing more than a good grade and they they have that high intrinsic motivation, they want to do it. They want to go and always be on top. They're going to put the work in. And because they believe the amount of work of studying that they put in is going to give a direct result of a grade that they are working hard to achieve. So what affects that child's motivation and approach, how they study and how they learn, they believe they're driving that. They have the power to control their grades. Conversely, you might have student B who has strong external locus of control and believes that The grade may well reflect the teacher's bias on them. They believe that studying is a waste of time. No matter how hard they try, it's not going to matter because the teacher doesn't like him. And so he or she has no control over getting the grade that they want because it solely is just going to rely on their teacher giving them a score based on how much they like them. Not correlated to the amount of work, studying, or effort that's put in. So this strong external locus of control is believing that it doesn't matter. It's happening to you. It's going to happen anyways. There's nothing you can do to mitigate or change or intervene or affect the results of the situation. And it can
1: be negative, um, very negative, negative. Yeah. And I want to just point that out, right? I think that pathway of impact um, is sort of similar for for student A and student B. That sense of what that locus of control is looking like is in turn affecting what our motivation is looking like, right? How much effort we're putting in at the end of the day, how much confidence we're feeling in ourselves, that our students are feeling in themselves, that they can, they just study a little bit, they can you know, get the work done. They can score a really great day. It is up to them, but based on where they are in that sense of locus and control, you can end up with two different outcomes, right? So that's quite interesting. So I do think, you know, typically it's a little bit more desirable to lean towards more of an internal locus of control, believing that you have power of your situation really can help us shift the way we work towards a given goal, and just determine how we're choosing to react to a difficult situation. Helping us shift our perspective from feeling like we are simply just a passenger, for the journey that life takes us on to owning our role as the driver on that journey Mm -hmm. so a little philosophy right there for us. (laughs) but i think also one other misconception and that's something important for us to note when it comes to having that strong internal locus of control is that it's really easy to also fall into this sense of unyielding optimism Mm -hmm. um i'm not gonna lie i feel like another word for it could be toxic positivity
0: almost that's one way um when when we were talking about this earlier, Namratha, like the idea that, like, you can change everything if you just believe you can, which is is wonderful to have that. But I also, like, I don't know, it just makes me think of manifesting um, and how, yes, manifesting to some is absolutely how, like, you know, you speak it, you believe it, you do it, you see it, it happens um but it's not to negate like the prefrontal cortex the part of your brain that is like logical and thinking and and saying that but we also need to be realistic, right? Maybe thinking in terms of a spectrum like optimism and pessimism and like Namratha in the car thinking about, why, why is this happening to me? Like, nothing's going right. My boss is going to be looking at the door. Like, she's spiraling. Okay. She is spiraling in her head. Definitely uh, hasn't happened I to hope me. many of you can relate. And all of a sudden, you just get bogged down with negative, pessimistic thoughts that everything is going to go bad. It's not going to go in your favor. You're going to have all these problems. And then consider the amount of energy Namratha took in the car to go down that ruminating spiral of negativity and how that her body has reacted, right? Just Mm -hmm. consider the amount of energy you're putting towards things. Um, And then the inverse, like I could say, I want to go live in Europe. But if I sit on my couch every day and do absolutely nothing but just say, I'm going to move to Europe, I'm going to move to Europe, but have not taken no tangible
1: steps to move to Europe, I mean, I'm just you're exerting energy on something that you haven't realistically made any steps towards. Right. right? We need to connect a few more dots. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that point too, about like the fact that I'm, I'm expending my mental energy and also my emotional energy Mm -hmm. so much on that period of time, I'm going to arrive to work already just fed up with my day and that's going to affect the rest of my day and the people that I work with. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. This is definitely not based on a real example.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then asking yourself, like, where is this in my locus of control?
1: I think one thing for us to keep in mind. So lapsing into this internal loci of control, right? I think that's the thing where it's frankly just maybe not the smartest thing for us to do. It just doesn't sound like a logical thing for us to do. If we are going to take it as this like naive, optimistic thing where we're just fully saying like it's it's up to me like i believe it's so why i can do it and it is a great i think mentality to have obviously there's nothing wrong with a little bit of optimism but where i think we just have to be a little bit careful with this is that you don't want it to be too simplistic and just a bit naive if we're not careful and if we're not matching that sense of healthy self efficacy with like the appropriate competency as well mm-hmm. the effort that you're putting in in your day the skill and the opportunity that also arises right to Really, really feel that. So, how are we going to then develop that healthy internal locus of control and remain realistic? I think that's the key word here remaining realistic Mm -hmm. about that balance between our internal sense of uh, control and our external. And this also, we have to think about, right? How is this functioning as a tool that we can use to manage our anxiety?
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that I'm laughing because I have. I have loved ones in my life when I'm stressing or spiraling, if you will, they'll like ask me what it is that's stressing me out and it will be something that I have zero control over. It's not in my locus of control. And so having an accountability partner kind of like check me and remind me like, hey, is this in your locus of control? Like, do you have the power to influence or change this? And even if I don't, even if it really is completely an external thing, it's raining outside and I really wanted to paint, I can't change the fact that it's raining outside. I can still acknowledge my feelings that I'm frustrated. And that is in addition to, or separate from just like No, I have control over painting outside. I am going to go paint outside in the rain and think it's going to work. Moving on, um, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever said to yourself or out loud to somebody else, well, if I don't expect anything and I just change my expectations, then I won't be disappointed when I don't get anything in return.
1: I'm raising my hands so high right now because <laughs> I've been so guilty of doing this. Yeah. Like as guilty as doing it like a few months ago.
0: Yes. Um I have I had overheard a conversation um where two people were talking about the the locus of control and uh, one was kind of trying to maybe provide an opportunity to consider some more optimism and positivity and really rein in and think through what do I have control of in this situation to and make it better. And the other person was like, no, it's an easy solve. I got it. Like, totally, no problem. I have all the control over my own expectations. So I'm just going to expect nothing. And then I can't quite possibly ever feel bad because I control my expectations, so I have none. Therefore, I'm never going to be disappointed. Now, that can come, obviously. I'm sure some of us have felt that way before um, as a result of other things affecting your mood, your ability to process the levels of cortisol or stress in your brain. And I encourage you if you get to a space of feeling like that, if you're listening and you thought, "Yeah, I've said that before, but then also hearing me say it, you also realize it's ridiculous to just say, "I have zero
1: expectations or, um, well, I control that. So can I just point out, I just want to add to that where when when I've said that in 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 my own past experiences, when I've gotten to that point, it's because I was feeling that sense of helplessness in that scenario. so the person I was working with, maybe they weren't measuring up to certain like, expectations. And, and these were things that we that were like explicitly said. We already like figured it out. But then when you're not measuring up to that and you're not reaching those expectations, it does become that point of like, well, let me just lower them as my default solution to this problem. Um, <laughs> and that way, if I don't have expectations then I don't have to feel anything about the situation. And I think that's the solution that we tell ourselves is okay, that we just shouldn't feel anything about the situation.
0: You can definitely feel things. I I can feel frustrated it's raining outside, but also understand that I do not control the rain and the clouds and the weather. I could be frustrated and then think about what I do have in the power of my control. And I could paint with the garage door open. I could schedule it for a different day. I can think logically about how to handle that problem. It doesn't negate the fact that I felt frustrated. Um, and I think another thing as educators to be really cognizant of, if you find yourself feeling that way where you're just like this, this helplessness or this hopelessness or burnt out. Uh-huh. Anyone? Uh, this extreme fatigue, it's its clouding your judgment. And so to just wrap it all up and carry on like, well, I can't do anything about it anyways, you know, is that really solving the problem? And does it go back to your why? Like, for example, well, you have, you really don't have control over children being brought to school on time if you're a teacher you know it's a point of frustration when you deal with the students coming in tardy chronically because you care about them, you care about their education, you care about societies. That's what that is why you are an educator, right? And while you can't control the fact that that child does not physically show up to class on time, what you could do is consider some systems or strategies to mitigate and alleviate that, that you do have control of, such as you can talk to the parents, you can create a system where you change what activity you're doing in the morning so you know it's something that they can make up or address later on so there's not missed learning opportunities. You can incentivize coming to school on time. You can do a plethora of things that you have in your locus of control
1: to address. Yes. I was just going to point that out too. I think one of the things that you had said, right. It's like you can shift around what you're doing in that day if possible. Right. So that, that learning opportunity, yeah, it isn't missed as much as it might've been if that student is consistently missing it and it's happening the first thing in the morning. Um, and I, I just want to share a really quick example to that point. Um, I was working at this, uh, just out of school, um, uh, class with an out-of-school class. And these were a group of third graders. And I love that. I love I loved third graders. For, first of all, they're so sassy. Um, but third grade had, was my favorite year to teach yeah. too. They're special, special children. They're
0: I love fun, them dearly. Their grade's the best.
1: Yeah. But then, you know, again, it was like a something where I had a few parents bringing in students late to class and it was like, I wanted to get the ball rolling immediately. You know when class started, but I was like, okay, I feel like I have to keep waiting for like those first five to ten minutes when parents, like students, are just staggering in. And again, you know, you have those conversations with parents, and sometimes things immediately change, and sometimes they don't, and maybe it just takes some time, right, for for that routine to set in for families. So you do have to give them that grace, of course. But something that me and my uh, co teacher at that time, what we what we decided at that point was, we decided like, okay, well, we don't need to jump in immediately at the beginning of the class. our first five minutes, we started just telling jokes. And we told the kids like, Hey, if you get to, if you're coming in on time, you get to have joke time and you get to tell your jokes. And so then I had my class pestering their parents to make sure that they were coming in on time. So they had those first few minutes of class to tell jokes with everybody and share those jokes with the class. And it actually just put everybody in a good mood got us started for the day.
0: Win-win. Yeah. That is healthy optimism and problem solving in action. Kudos to you, Namratha. Thank you. Yeah. Man, we could talk for hours about all of this. Namratha and I have spent an extensive amount of time trying to record this episode today because we just keep going down rabbit holes of things we want to talk about with you. We're very passionate about it. <laughs> so we hope you're enjoying um, please, please, please tell us what you want to hear about. We're getting feedback. Shout out to people who are saying like, Hey, like I can totally resonate what you said in that podcast. Like really really meant something. Like, Aww. I felt like you were talking to me. Oh, that's so that's great. We want to have more of those moments with you. So reach out. Tell us what you'd love to hear about. Ask us questions. Give us situations or scenarios that you would love for us to unpack from a neuroscience p- stance. And, and um, we will catch you next time. But before I leave, don't forget, you are loved. You are cared for. You are important. Your feelings are valid. And we see you, especially educators right now. We see you. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing in this really stressful time of year. Um, Just know you're not alone and we're thinking of you. So reach out if you need anything. Email us at sel at unitedtolearn.org. And that's a wrap. last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to Pitch Bend Media for their sound design and music composition. We'll see you next time, Allies. We love you.
1: We'll see you next time.